0: Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the Insurgents. Here's
1: Frank. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition, yet another edition of the Insurgents Podcast. And we are going through every mention of the term kingdom, referring to the kingdom of God, in the Gospels. And I have with me once again... My conversation partner, Brian Russell. What's up, Brian?
2: Uh, It's great to be with you again, Frank. Looking forward to this discussion about this really interesting passage today.
1: (laughs) Yes, so the next mention of the kingdom in the Gospels is Mark 9.1. And uh, this is a passage that has parallels in Matthew 16 and in Luke chapter 9. Mark 9 1 and he jesus said to them assuredly i say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of god present with power he is speaking in the first century and he says some of you who hear me speaking who are standing right here with me are not going to die or taste death till you see the kingdom of god coming with power or present with power Now that's the New King James Version. I want to read this in a few other translations, Brian, because the wording is a little bit different. New Living Translation. I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Kingdom of God arrive in great power. The Message. Some of you who are standing here are going to see it happen. See the Kingdom of God arrive in full force. And I think other translations use the phrase, see the kingdom of God coming with power. All right. I want to talk about what I believe Jesus is referring to, the kingdom of God coming with power. And of course, he's talking to some of his disciples here who are living in the first century. And then I want to hear your thoughts, Brian. And then I want to make a big takeaway at the very end most prophetic words in both the Old and New Testament contain several layers of fulfillment. And this is very interesting. When I first saw it, it was an unusual way of thinking and interpreting the Bible. But it's true that prophetic words, both in the Old Testament and even in the New, don't just have one layer of fulfillment. There are numerous layers of fulfillment. It's fascinating. It'd be a whole different conversation to actually go through each of those prophetic words to explain that. But... Nevertheless, Matthew and Mark and Luke immediately follow this statement with the account of the transfiguration. And it comes right after. So this has led many scholars to believe that the transfiguration is the fulfillment of Mark 9.1. And I think that's partly true, but not completely. Let me explain. One problem with that understanding is that the statement about some of you who are present will not taste death before it The coming of the kingdom of God in power seems to imply that some people would die before that was fulfilled. But the transfiguration took place six days after. And uh, Luke's account says eight days, but I think he's counting a little bit differently. I think he's counting previous. Even so, we're talking about a week. (laughs) I doubt seriously any of them died within a week. I mean, if that's the case, the statement would be technically correct, but strange. John Calvin took quote, the kingdom come in power to mean, quote, the revelation of the heavenly glory which Christ began with the resurrection and then more fully offered when he sent the Holy Spirit and worked marvelous deeds of power, meaning through the Holy Spirit, through the church, the book of Acts. And uh, Martin Luther and Karl Barth champion similar interpretations. So to my mind, the transfiguration was the proleptic fulfillment of this statement and proleptic it's a a word scholars use (laughs) they like to use a big means foreshadowing means foreshadowing anticipatory so the transfiguration to me brian was a preview a foretaste of the second coming of christ the Parousia, his appearing but i believe the dominating fulfillment of this text you won't die until you see the kingdom of god coming in power was on the day of Pentecost when Jesus Christ came in the spirit, the kingdom community was born, and the kingdom of God clearly, clearly came in the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. This is evident from Acts 1 and 2. It is a dramatic inbreaking of the kingdom. I have made the case that Jesus is the incarnation of the kingdom of God himself, when he broke into time, especially when he was anointed by the Holy Spirit and started his ministry, that was the beginning of the kingdom of God breaking in. Well, guess what? Jesus came again on the day of Pentecost in the spirit. If you read John 14, 15, and 16, that's as clear as a bell. Jesus said, I'm coming again to you. And then he would say, and the spirit is going to come. And he was talking about the day of Pentecost. As I've made the case in insurgents, the kingdom of God had arrived not only in Jesus in his first coming, but it it arrived again through the kingdom community, the ecclesia, when it was born on the earth. So I believe that Jesus' words in Mark 9.1 was fulfilled in three parts. In immediate preview form, The proleptic phase, the transfiguration, 2 Peter 1.16 confirms this. As Peter describes the transfiguration, he describes it with words like power, appearing. And that was an early sign of the second coming, right? It was like a, a front row seat preview of the second coming of Jesus, his parousia, right there in front of the eyes of the disciples. The second fulfillment, which is the one I emphasize, was the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost when the Kingdom community was born. I think that's when the Kingdom of God came with power and certainly many who heard Jesus make that statement, you shall not taste death, were there. They were there and participated in that. It is interesting to note that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke Jesus also talks about a second coming along with this prediction that some won't see death. And this has led some scholars, as you know Brian, This led some scholars to believe that Jesus was referring to the second coming and he was wrong. So in other words, he was saying, Okay, some of you are not going to taste death before you see the kingdom coming. Well, the kingdom coming was his second coming. It didn't happen, so the Lord got it wrong. But the Old Testament prophets understood the death, resurrection, ascension, descent of the Spirit, and the second coming of Christ all as one event. They didn't separate it. They saw it all as one thing. And this comes through in the Gospels, too. So that's why I think Jesus was also mentioning his second coming along with this kingdom coming in power that some of those people hearing him would actually see. Because he saw it as one event as well. Just to add to this, Brian, F.F. Bruce made this remark about this passage. With the death and exaltation of Jesus and the coming of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost following, some of those who were witnesses of his mighty works in Galilee and elsewhere saw the power of the kingdom of God manifested on a scale unmatched during his ministry. So there Bruce is championing the idea that he was referring to the birth of the Ecclesia on the day of Pentecost. Bruce goes on. Within a few weeks, the number of his followers multiplied tenfold. His kingdom was visibly on the march. This at any rate is an interpretation of his saying about the kingdom of God having come with power, which makes it intelligible to us. Whether or not this interpretation coincides with his intention when he spoke in this way is a question to which it is best not to give a dogmatic answer. It cannot be said that the transfiguration was the event which Jesus said would come within the lifetime of some of his hearers. One does not normally use such language to refer to something that is to take place in a week's time. (laughs) So he makes that point too. His rising from the dead would inaugurate the reality which they had seen in vision on the Mount of Transfiguration and would at the same time herald the coming of the kingdom with power. And then finally, James D.G. Dunn wrote a marvelous article called Spirit and Kingdom, which by the way, you graciously sent to me when I couldn't find it. And he talks about the connection between the Holy Spirit and the Kingdom of God. And he draws a lot of parallels between the two. Like for example, Jesus would say things like, the Kingdom of God is said to be a gift, the Spirit of God is said to be a gift. The Father's good pleasure is to give you the kingdom. The Father's good pleasure is to give you the Spirit. He draws lots of parallels between the Holy Spirit and the kingdom, pointing out that the kingdom of God comes in the Spirit. Let me quote Dunn. Jesus tells his disciples that the highest thing they can seek and should seek is the Father's kingdom, and also that it is the Father's good pleasure to give them the kingdom. The only other place in Luke where Jesus speaks of the Father's willingness to give is Luke 11:13. 13. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? In terms of the present-future tension in the kingdom concept, we might put it this way. The presence of the Spirit is the already of the kingdom. It is because the Spirit is at work that they can be sure that the kingdom has come. The manifestation of the Spirit is the manifestation of the kingdom. That's pretty much the same as saying Jesus is the manifestation of the kingdom because Jesus is in the Spirit, right? And the Spirit was in Jesus when he was on the earth. And then he says this, Does not the close relationship between the Spirit and kingdom add very strong support to the old interpretation which referred the prophecy to Pentecost? Mm -hmm. He's talking about Mark 9.1. There are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. Does not the close relationship between the spirit and kingdom add very strong support to the old interpretation which referred the prophecy to Pentecost? If the kingdom's presence in Jesus was determined by the coming of the spirit upon Jesus at Jordan, then may we indeed must we not say that the kingdom became present in the disciples, by the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost in the same way. This would not mean, of course, that the kingdom came in consummating fullness at Pentecost any more than at Jordan. For both these comings of the kingdom are but the preview of the fuller, comprehensive, cosmic salvation still awaited, meaning the second coming of Christ. I would not be so bold as to claim that we have here proof positive of the Pentecost interpretation of Mark 9.1, Nor, it is true, did any New Testament writer make the identification explicitly. Nevertheless, I think it can safely be affirmed that all the writers we have examined would agree that at Pentecost the kingdom came in power. Just to summarize, Brian, it is my belief that when Jesus said, some of you will not taste death until you see the coming of the kingdom in power, he was referring to the day of Pentecost. However, the preview of that and the second coming was at the transfiguration, and that's why the three gospel writers immediately talk about the transfiguration. That's my feeling about it. I do have an application to make, which I will do at the end of this episode, because oh, I want to I mean, pass it on to you.
2: Yeah, and there's no, I mean, there's no question, and there's no, there's no disagreement from me on that, and that was well articulated, and, and Frank said this in his in his own language, or maybe when he was quoting Don, there's always this tension when we talk about the kingdom between the already and the not yet, and so the kingdom, when Jesus comes, is both substantially present, and it's waiting at f- its fullest development, it's technical words consummation of the whole piece. And so clearly huge initial consummation is Pentecost. Yet, as Frank already said, the second coming, the new creation is going to be the fullest uh, revelation yet of the kingdom. So we want to recognize as we listen and we kind of struggle through what these different texts means that there's different, there's different Iterations or different versions of the Kingdom coming, and each one in its own way is powerful and significant. Uh, but there's all obviously some of these have big exclamation marks, and Pentecost clearly huge exclamation point. You take Jesus's life, death, resurrection and then the pouring of the spirit. That's what changes the world because it unleashes the church. So, I'm not going to say anything that even slightly contradicts that cuz 100% true. That's what where the scriptures go. Now what's interesting is we don't want then to um minimize transfiguration. It's a really cool event.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and all three gospels have it. Immediately coming yeah. after the saying, right. because in some substantial way, what are they seeing? They're seeing a picture of Jesus's future, present glory from all eternity. We have Elijah and Moses are even showing up. Mm-hmm. So it's even figures from the past, the great lawgiver and the paradigm of what a prophet is. All of these p- persons are right up on top. Hmm. And they see Jesus not as, well, he's still Jesus, but they basically see really the almost the resurrected version of Jesus there. And that's where that whole phrase of transfiguration comes Mm -hmm. from. And and later in Mark's gospel, when Jesus is uh, talking to the high priest and he's in front of the council, they ask him, uh, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And and Jesus (laughs) says these powerful words, I am, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of the power Mm. and the coming with the clouds of heaven. So, there you see the triumphant, mm-hmm. vindicated, glorious Lord. And so, that, and in essence, and the, the disciples who got to go up on that mountain that day got a, a sneak peek. Mm-hmm. And so, transfiguration, yeah, that's not the fullest fulfillment of that, but it is a, a real fulfillment. And it was powerful mm-hmm. in retrospect. Because what's interesting, all the gospels, and just look at Mark, if the, if the folks are right with us in Mark, it's interesting. You know, they have to go back down. That's one of the powerful lessons here, too. It's like, Even if you had this great experience of God, you still got to go back down and share it, right? But what's interesting is Jesus tells him in Mark 9, don't tell anybody. (laughs) And why is that? It says, don't tell anybody. He charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man should have risen from the dead, right? And so in other words, post-resurrection, all of this makes sense. And we begin sharing the message because the Spirit has come and it supernaturally is going to empower the church to take this message, Mm-hmm. so that's, that's, that's what I want to add. And then one other little caveat, which is interesting here, is that word "sum." some. Now, obviously, in, in the context, he's really talking about, he's talking to the disciples right there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, some of you think, well, geez, all the disciples other than Judas are around. Um, mm-hmm. So he could have almost, if he was only talking about the disciples, he could have said, well, every one of you except for one <laughs> will not taste death until we see the Son of Man coming in power, which would have been Pentecost because Judas is gone. But in a sense, what's interesting is um, here, here's the disciples. And at this point in the story, and this is good news for us, they're all imperfect disciples mm-hmm. because you know they're all going to fall away at the end of the gospels. That's kind of the story. So they're imperfect, but they do believe, right? Mm-hmm. But the other piece is just think of this other thing. It's also a witness in the in the uh, two doubters. And how many persons who are essentially Jesus's. Who become jesus's enemies the ones that are going to say crucify him crucify him which ends up being everybody essentially there's some of the some also and so this is just kind of pointing to that future vindication when suddenly jesus is resurrected then pentecost comes the spirit comes out and then there's a full vindication of jesus's message jesus the crucified one becomes vindicated in the the and you get to uh, see the kingdom of god Mm. coming in power, that even at Pentecost is even a prefiguration of the Son of Man returning once uh, once again on the clouds and seeing him at the right hand of God. So yeah, I'm just going to add that to what you said, but uh, there, mm. that's not to take anything away. This is an incredibly important text that uh, is to encourage us that uh, Jesus's message has been vindicated and that we're invited to participate in that and minister in power absolutely <laughs> not not in weakness right i mean and that's that's the that's the takeaway we've been we who follow jesus christ are recipients i mean if you take the scriptures seriously of the same experiences that the people in the Bible had.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yep. Particularly those in the new covenant. And we have the spirit of a living God, the same spirit that dwelt in Jesus Christ living in us. It's interesting because in Mark, it looks like the context he's speaking to people with his disciples also. So the idea is he has his disciples, but he also has others.
2: Yeah, that's where the sum comes from then, yeah. Yeah.
1: Matthew, it looks like he's just speaking to his disciples. So if we put them together, perhaps he has others there listening to him, but he's really addressing his disciples. And maybe when he says the sum, he's referring to the context of those who can hear him in earshot distance. But the point is, and whether or not you take The uh, view that he's talking, some scholars say you shall not taste death until you see the kingdom coming with power. Some say that's the crucifixion. Some say it's the resurrection. Some say it's the transfiguration and the transfiguration only. I say it's the transfiguration as a preview to the real fulfillment being the day of Pentecost, as James D.G. Dunn and others have said. Regardless of how you interpret that passage In the way of fulfillment, there is no question that the kingdom of God, one manifestation and a big manifestation of it, did come on the day of Pentecost. The kingdom came in power on the day of Pentecost. Massive. And what did it look like? It looked like a people full of the joy of the Holy Spirit, full of the power of the Holy Spirit, a people who, by virtue of that Spirit coming into them, began to meet and to meet continually. They wanted to be with each other, right? They loved each other. They took care of each other. In a world that was governed by selfishness, self-seeking, materialism, cutthroat impulses, lack of joy, entrenched in the flesh and the carnal urges. There was a people who were living as a community of another civilization, of another realm, the kingdom of heaven, as it were. And they were living that out, embodying it, revealing it by the love they had to one another, by the service they had to one another, the close-knit fellowship. They were a family, and later Gentiles came in and became part of that family, which was unheard of because Jews and Gentiles did not mix well on any level, and all the barriers were broken down the women were given a high place and so here in the day of Pentecost beginning on throughout we have this kingdom community showing that the manifestation of the kingdom of God had come to the planet earth and here's my takeaway question those of you who attend either a home Bible study where you get together and you have a meal and you talk about the Bible And those of you who attend a Sunday morning church service where you come in, trape yourself in a pew, listen to a sermon, sing some songs with the worship team, throw money in the offering plate, is that the kingdom of God coming in power? And that's a question I want to ask you. I put in the book, Insurgents there's a whole section later on in the book that talks about This kingdom community, what it looked like, how the members of that community lived. And Brother Brian, I believe that that's what God wants to recover in our time. There is an experience of ecclesia that is above and beyond what most of us Christians have experienced. Some of us have had the high privilege of tasting it. And I think the Lord wants to recover that on the earth. And it starts out, it starts out with the kingdom cell, which only requires one other person. That's where you begin. But we can experience the kingdom of God coming in power now in our time in the 21st century.
2: Yeah, and all I'm going to add to that is, is amen and let it start with us,
1: too. Praise the Lord. Incidentally, for those of you who are new to the podcast, in the book Insurgents, I wrote more on the kingdom than what's in the book. The original manuscript was longer than what you see in the book. And so the publisher uh, said we have to cut out these chapters. And so we put them on a separate website that goes along with the book. And one of the chapters is called You Will Not Taste Death, which is a shortened version of what I just shared in the podcast, much shorter, but it gets to the same point. So if you have the book, the link to that website is right in the book, stated numerous times. And so you can download that article. Until next time, take care.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents Podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the Insurgents has begun. Don't miss it. Thank you